Boom, this is the About Violence Podcast. And um, I think it is no secret, everyone knows that I love stabby things. Um, in, in all forms, puncture wounds, slices, cuts. If, if I, I feel as if I was born in the wrong era and uh, maybe in the wrong century, uh, the thought of like carrying two sharp objects and being able to run at a line of people is one of the greatest things. Um, and perhaps the one of the greatest people to ever make said sharp stabby things is across from me, Josh Smith, um, owner, founder of Montana Knife Company. And uh, Great man, great citizen, great American, and uh, and I think the youngest master knife smith yeah, ever. Yeah. So we'll start getting to the background of that. But welcome to Texas. Thank you. I know you're doing no. the podcast circuit while you're here. I don't know if I uh, agree or or deserve that kind opening, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it. So thank you. Yeah, yeah we got we got one one of them knives here that has yeah. uh, the SDR crest on it. I have Speed one in my goat. truck right here. Here's another one. Yeah. Also beautiful. Um, you, my friend Ashim Ariana, uh, Command Sergeant Major, Second mm-hmm. Battalion, 7th Special Forces Group. Um, there's a tradition when like you're rotating out to you know buy your colleagues a gift, mm-hmm. and um, and usually because it's in the military, we don't have any money. Um, you end up like with a coin or a shot glass or something. Right. I call you up, and you make a custom colored seventh special forces group knife it was the sickest thing that you've that somebody's ever done um you did it for me but we did it for my friend af and i wanted to say thank you and uh that gave him some major power that's awesome so thank you well i mean it's one of the things that uh you know the the thing that i love most about what i get to do is the is the people that i get to interact with people like you i get to meet um for sure it's the people and then uh, secondly, it's the things like that, that we get to do, that we get to help support, um, especially with our military, with our veterans, active duty people. Uh, we, we do a lot of that where we, you know, laser logos on for, for guys and whatnot in their different groups. And, uh, it's one of the coolest things that we get to do to support. Cause I, I never served, I'm not a veteran. So it's a super small, tiny, That's not true. tiny thing. You're not a veteran, but you serve in some pretty rad ways. Um, and another thing that I really value about you is that you don't ever, you're never braggadocious about all the different ways that you contribute, mm-hmm. but being behind the scenes and seeing what you do for so many different NGOs, so many different military groups, mm-hmm. um, it is as frustrated I get with Americans right mm-hmm. now, um, lack of individual responsibility, the gelatinous, obese humans walking down the road everywhere that I look, then I like get reminded when I get to spend time with people like you that just do things for no other reason besides it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, America, we yeah. still got it, you know? Yeah. yeah and, and honestly, we, I, I, I believe and, and, uh, to my core that we live in the greatest country on the planet. And, and the, the reason that we have the freedoms we have are because of the people like yourself that, that, you know, raise their right hand and, and that, that gave up their lives. Um, and I say not, not in a way of dying for our country, which plenty of people have done that, but just, you know, uh, given up uh, their lives to the government to, to use them in whatever capacity the government sees fit uh, to defend our country, defend our freedoms. Um, so it, it's what makes our country uh, incredibly special. It's a volunteer uh, group of people who volunteer to defend our flag. So I couldn't be more, you know, more honored to help support in just a small way for sure. So I love not just the founding fathers, but I love the era of when America was starting to cut its teeth and that was a nuclear family Mm -hmm. with a savage of a leader that was the head of the household. Mm-hmm. The man was carving his existence out of the wilderness, um, providing for his family, protecting his family against bears, wolves. Um, as horrible as it might be, the people that lived here before Americans and colonizers got here, right. the indigenous people, um, then the French, and then backstabbed by the British. And then like the list goes on and on of these just incredibly hard people. Yeah. So you grew up in the ball, like just adjacent to the Bob Marshall wilderness. Mm-hmm. And, um, before you started Montana Knife Company, uh, I, I think this is kind of a, t- a testament. There, there's a lot of attributes and characteristics of you that are very similar to the the men and women that grew up in the, the 
the infancy of this nation, mm-hmm. you're a hard dude. You shake your hand and you're like, man, you know, you're like, I'm not going to go rifle hunt. I'm going to bow hunt. And like, man, man. Right. And there's <laughs> like, you, you look for hard things. Um, let's talk about pre Montana knife company. Mm-hmm. Like who was Josh Smith that ended up being the youngest master knife maker who ended up starting this like gigantic, exploding, amazing knife company. Right. Like, what, what is the origin? What is the Genesis? Like what, what were the seeds that were planted in you to then be like, I'm going to do this crazy hard thing. Yeah. I, I think it really comes down to my, my dad, uh, you know, I, he's, he has never been a very vocal person. He's not a yeller. He never yelled really a day in his life at me. Um, <clears throat> silent, silent leader. My mom was more of the one that would chew my ass and yeah. yell at me and, you know, tell me I'm lazy. Uh, but, but my dad was just one of those guys really from the time he was, a, he was a child. I mean, quite frankly, uh, in the area that he grew up in the, in the, you know, sixties, um, you know, late fifties and sixties, he was really worked like a slave, frankly, by his father. Um, you know, alcoholic father that had come home from world war two, uh, you know, on a ranch in the middle of Southeast Colorado, uh, very, you know, kind of, uh, unforgiving ground out there, dry, hot, not much water. And, you know, they had to, him and his brothers, he had 15 brothers and sisters. Um, and they worked in the middle of nowhere. 15? Yeah. 11 sisters and four brothers. And, and he, they, he really had to work like a dog. He didn't get to play sports, get to get to do a lot of the things that kids get to do today. And that work ethic that he was instilled in him all the way through, I, I watched, you know, I grew up in an excavation business. He still, he still has, it still does it where we have backhoes and excavators, dump trucks, you know, digging septic systems for people doing site development. And from the time I can ever remember, I mean, there's videos of me out on a backhoe, my dad would set it up and he would set up blocks of wood and I'd be out on the backhoe at three and four years old using the backhoe to chop wood with the backhoe to learn how to run it. Mm-hmm. And my dad would be out setting up blocks of wood and I'd learn. And at a very early age, I was driving dump trucks and, and backhoes to the job and he'd set me up in the middle of a field and have me dig a, a water line across the middle of nowhere. And um, he just led by example and he was always out of the house at four thirty-five in the morning, loading pipe and doing all his maintenance on his equipment, um, rolling in at, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night, and then had to sit there at the, at the desk and do his paperwork, you know, mm-hmm. and my mom and dad did that together. Um, and so he modeled hard work and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm really that talented or that great at anything, but I definitely know how to work, work hard and, and apply, apply myself. I, you know, quite honestly, with a lot of what you talk about and whatnot, one of the things that I've, I've, I'm somewhat of a hypocrite about lately is just being like physically in shape and all that. I feel like I've let with my company and stuff, I've let some of that priority slip, which I have to get back to. My wife is an absolute uh, leader in the house on that. She does not miss a workout in the morning. She leads by example with that. But when it comes to work, uh, you know, I started making knives at 11 and I worked on knives before school. I worked on knives after school. You know, I became the youngest journeyman in the knife in the, in the world when I was 15. Um, I had a lawn mowing business uh, to make to, to earn money to buy knife equipment. Samesies. And did you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mom would haul me downtown. We didn't have cell phones, so she would haul me downtown. She'd be like, "I'll be back down in three hours," and I'd drive my mower around town. I'd mow my little lawns I had to do, and she'd come pick me up. Um, and then I worked in my parents' excavation business. And that's part of why I didn't like play baseball for very long in the summertime. Once I got old enough, I, we worked, yeah. but I loved it. My dad was the kind of guy who was, um, extremely anal about being delivering the very best that we can for the customer. Yeah. And, uh, he was meticulous with record keeping, uh, you know, counting how many loads of gravel and how much time did it take and making sure not to charge the customer more than than they deserve to be charged. Uh, he just modeled all that stuff. And I loved working for my dad. It wasn't, I mean, trust me, there were definitely a lot of days where I'm like, I really do not want to get out of bed at five o'clock in the morning, but that was not an option. You had to go, but I, I loved it growing yeah. up doing that. So 15 years old, youngest journeyman. Um, there's another youngest in here, which is 19 year old bladesmith. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to explain because I'm assuming everyone like me is fairly ignorant into, I, I understand it's an arduous, extremely rare, um, very selective title. 
mm-hmm. and, and to be 19 and be able to do that, could you explain to me uh, as, and if you're chat GPT, I'd say, okay, explain to me as if I was an idiot nine-year-old yeah. that can barely read what are the requirements to do this thing. Yeah. Um, don't use like bladesmith talk. Like, <laughs> yeah. Talk to me like I actually am, which is dumb. Yeah. No, I... You know, I, I have to give credit to, you know, I was 11 years old, I was playing Little League Baseball, and my Little League Baseball coach was an outfitter in the Bob Marshall Wilderness, and he made hunting knives. And uh, and he would bring those knives to practice and show the parents, and I, of course, I'm 11, and Montana, I'm like, all about knives yeah. and guns and That's cool. all that yeah. stuff. So uh, he invited me up to a shop, I started, I started making knives, and really quickly... Uh, I think it was his way to get rid of me. He was like, well, if you want to be a knife maker, you have to make them in your own shop. And so I used that lawn mowing money in my, in my parents' business, uh, you know, to buy knife grinding equipment. And, and he had the foresight, his name is Rick Dunkerley, an amazing maker still today. He had the foresight to tell me like, Hey, you should join the American Bladesmith Society. And, and if you apply yourself, you could become the youngest master in the world ever. Now, I don't think he thought I'd probably follow through on that, but I joined the American Bladesmith Society and I ended up doing the journeyman test first. And I'll explain because it's basically the same test for master uh, with a f- couple changes. But uh, you're an apprentice for three years uh, at a minimum. And once you're once you're done with your apprenticeship, which just means basically you're a member of that organization and you've announced that, that this is your intention, uh, you have to test for your journeyman stamp, which involves two parts. One is a performance part because what we need to remember is it's a tool first. It has a job to do. And so I had to, I had to forge hand forge a 10 inch blade or less, uh, in length. And it has to chop a one inch rope in half and one chop, which that just shows sharpness. It just shows that that's a sharp blade. And then it has to chop two, two by fours in half. And when you're done doing that and as many chops as you want without resharpening, when you're done doing that, that blade still has to shave hair off your arm. And that shows that your edge can hold up to a repetitive amount of work abuse, right? And you've got good edge retention. At that point, you didn't have to bend that blade 90 degrees in a vise without breaking it. And so what that shows is now you have demonstrated control of your heat treatment process. So the blade isn't too hard. It's not too soft. Uh, it's in that middle ground where it has to be, um, you know, basically uh, a multi-use blade where it's 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 got a really good hard edge that, that'll hold an edge for a long time, but it's not too hard. If you get it in a bind, you don't break it. Mm-hmm. Once you're done with your performance part, and you have to do that test under the eye of a, of a master smith in his shop. So I did that out in Oregon when I was uh, 14. And then at 15, a couple months later, I went to the Atlanta Blade Show, and you have to present five knives to a panel of master judges. And they have to judge the fit and finish of those five blades you present. It's your choice on what you present. Ideally, you can show some variation in your work that you can show the judges like, hey, I can do more. I'm not just a a one trick pony. I can do a few things. And they judge, uh, you know, the quality. And really what you're demonstrating is that you're a professional knife maker at that point. Um, I I equate it to... uh, you know, coming out of, you know, some of your, your guys' special operations training, say you get done with buds and you report to your command, like you've gotten through, but you're not a master at that point, but you have jumped the hoops to be considered a professional at that point. Uh, but in order to test for your master Smith test, you have to, perf- you have to be a journeyman for at least two years. And then you can apply for your master smith rating, which I actually was a master, or I, I was a journeyman for four years. I was in high school, uh, went to college, and so it took me a little bit longer to where I felt like I could rightfully take that test and potentially pass it. Uh, I took my master smith test, and what you do with that test is it's the same performance test with the blade, but you have to do it with a 300-layer Damascus blade. So you have to hand forge that blade. It's 300 layers of steel. Uh, that, and, and when you go to bend that blade, all of the welds in your steel, all that better be solid. Uh, and then when you go to Atlanta, Georgia, again, and you present your five knives, one of them must be a quillion dagger. So making a dagger is actually very, very difficult because it's perfectly symmetrical. So when, what you do to one side, the other side has to identically match. And so if you don't have control over everything that you do, there'll be little differences. That, that blade also has to be fluted and wire wrapped, which means carved uh, sterling silver rope wire on it. Um, and, and, and again, at that point, they judge you 
extremely harshly. Like with journeyman level, you can get away with maybe a couple things. Mastersmith level, they're looking for one Did thing. You keep that knife? Uh, no, I sold that set because I wanted a new grinder at that point. Uh, I know the uh, a really nice man uh, bought it in California, and uh, he actually passed away. But he said that set will come back to you someday, and his son has it. And you his, go get it. His son and I are talking. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. You keep talking to him because that's yeah. the right thing to do. Yeah. So anyway, I, I I passed that. There was when I did it, there was around eighty in the world that had done it. Right now, there's about one hundred and forty. I'm definitely no longer the youngest. I'm standing here with gray hair, but uh, it, it, it was an accomplishment. Uh, what, what I will say is, you know, I got a ton of publicity about that the whole way through. The magazines were amazing, but really the only reason I got as good as I did, as fast as I did, um, I guess besides being, I was a hard worker, but besides that, it was the willingness by all those other knife makers to share mm -hmm. and teach. Cause like there was no YouTube then. There was yeah. no, you didn't Google shit. Uh, it was, you had to go to people's shops and I, as a kid, and I, I think that's something that I think a lot of kids lack these days is that willingness and that, that kind of, it takes guts for a 12 year old to walk up to a 50 year old guy and be like, can you show me how to do that? Yeah. How did you do that? It used to be the way. Yeah. I mean, that was the way. Yeah. Like, this is the only way actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm really, really concerned, you know, the skilled labor looking at the next generation from the apprentice uh, apprentice to the journeyman to the professional mm -hmm. to the master um, from every skilled job from plumber to electrician to mm -hmm. a cabinet maker yep we're gonna be in a really scary position because uh, there's not gonna be enough uh, you want to be a TikTok influencer jobs available right and yeah um, no and I and, and really one of the things I'm probably most proud of uh, because I don't think I was anything special in the way of like talent as far as making knives or some like, like, um, you know, amazing artist or something like that. It was, it was the work ethic to keep going, like making knives before school and after school. I got made fun of, I didn't go to parties. It was like, I was, I was, I was the knife nerd, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, my, the, the knife makers, the older guys, they nicknamed me psycho knife boy. Like that was like, what I, who I was, you know, but I was relentless at just, and, and honestly, there were a lot of times I remember crying like tears to my mom being kind of a baby about like, I'd come home from a show. I'd take these knives. I'm all proud of. I'm 15 years old. I'm the youngest journeyman in the world, blah, blah, blah. And I'd go to a show and I'd walk up to, you know, these knife makers I all looked up to. And I'd say like, what do you think of that? Like, check that knife out. And I remember one guy in particular, specifically, I think I was 18 years old and I was like, what do you think of this knife? And it was Tim Hancock, he's passed away now, just a badass dude. And he looked at it and he goes, I hate it. And I was like, why? And he ripped it apart from head to toe. Mm. Like- Was he wrong? You know, no, 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 not at all. That's the but, worst. But he, 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 he talked about like the planning of the knife, the design, the drawing, the, why did you do this? Why'd you do that? Why, what, why'd you choose this to make this material here and do this and that and everything about it. Um, but I had that happen for years and years. I remember more when I was a kid, 13, 14, 15, I kept wanting the feedback from those masters to be like, Hey, good job. That mm -hmm. that's a great knife. And instead, every time I handed him something, something was wrong you know, this should be a little better here. The blade should be thinner here, you know, every single time. And I remember coming to my, my folks and being like, they hate me. I can never do it right. I can never do anything right. And my folks would be like, oh, you just gotta, you gotta do better. Like you gotta keep getting, getting better. And I would keep pushing. And I remember I was probably 22 years old. I went to a or 21. I went to a show in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I handed several of those guys a blade and every one of them were like that's fucking nice and i remember like getting chills like almost t in tears about it and i and i won the best damascus knife for the blade show that year at the world's largest knife show you know at 20 years old and um beat beat everybody in the room there's like 800 tables there yeah and uh you know you put these knives in for these competitions and uh it was like I'd kind of arrived, like finally had gotten, my peers had told me, you know, my customers, everybody tells you you're great. They buy your knives. They've been telling me I was great since I was little, but it was when my peers finally said, that's really good, you know? 
and that's where and then again any any time that you know you consider yourself a master i the one thing that i really hesitate about like hey i was the youngest master smith at 19 it was a cool accomplishment for sure but are you really a master at anything at 19 years old like i passed their test yeah right like there again you know when 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 you go through certain trainings and I don't care if you're a lineman, I don't care if you're a, a ranger or a seal or whatever, green beret, it doesn't matter. Uh, when you, when you, when you pass that initial test, like, have you really mastered it? Like, um, even today, like there's so much I want to learn and you know, I'm not doing a lot of custom knife stuff right now with what I'm building with MKC, but like when I go back to it, dude, there's so many guys making really cool shit out there. Like I want to learn more. Yeah. You know, I have a question about MKC specifically. So Montana Knife Company, um, I, I love the story when you're like in this questioning, you know, you're, you're working full time, not as a knife maker. Right. And it was your wife that said, no, you got to go do this. Yeah. Like th this is who you are. This is what you're made to do. Yeah. And you all cards down, push the whole yep. pile of chips across the table. Yeah. You're all in. Um, the, one of the special forces truths is that you cannot mass produce special operations mm -hmm. and your knives are extraordinary. Um, they're, it's hard to mass produce anything that is quality. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you're not mass produced yet because right. like, you're still every single one of your launches, you sell out and you do mm -hmm. limited numbers and I get that but you're making more. And mm -hmm. so my question is in the vertical growth that has been, I mean, m meteoric, like you've like mm -hmm. shot in the past two years, not just in the variety of knives, cause you've added a couple additional styles, mm -hmm. um, but also in the quantity of knives. Yeah. But the knife hasn't changed. Right. Arguably. Right. It's improved. Mm -hmm. Like, th yeah, it has improved. Yeah. Th those are seemingly mutual, mutually exclusive things. Mm -hmm. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> like I am, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually truthfully like, yeah. what the heck? How is that possible? Well, you know, to start with, with my wife, you know, I, I had registered the name Montana Knife Company when I was 19 because I, I wanted to build a knife company someday. But I knew then when I was doing my Master Smith stuff, I wasn't ready to run. First of all, a company. 19 years old, put in to own Montana Knife Company. So if you're 19. And you're thinking like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, do anything. Just start doing something. Yeah. No, it's true. And and I I knew at that point I wasn't ready to start that. Uh, and I was still trying to gain, uh, you know, respect in the knife world. I was trying to gain knowledge. I was I was basically trying to build my resume. And I and I had to do that because I didn't launch Montana Knife Company until I was 39. So for 20 years, I thought about it. Uh, you know, I, I ended up becoming a lineman in 2010, uh, uh, you know, before that I'd gotten, well, I actually got my apprenticeship in 2010 and then went through all that and became a journeyman lineman and actually went away from making knives full time because I knew at that point in my life, making knives one knife at a time, I was never, I wasn't gaining enough traction to be able to ever launch Montana Knife Company. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have the time. Like that's, it's hard when, when people are doing like an art form, if you're making paintings, it's, you know, you're doing one thing at a time. It's really difficult to, to, to scale that. And so I actually kind of went at it a different way and I, I became a lineman and, and, and then my house burned down. Um, I got a divorce. I was living in a camper out in my driveway with my kids, built a new house that year. And then at the end of that year, I met, my now wife. And when I told Jessica my idea of this company and how long I'd been talking about it and thinking about it with my foreman at work and other friends of mine, she was like, you need to just go and do it. She's like, I have the house. I've got the kids get to your shop. So I went back to where I was when I was a kid of before work and after work. And I just started cutting prototypes in 2019. Um, basically what we could afford and I started making prototypes and playing with different things and trying to learn because I had never done mass production. I was making $5,000 knives one knife at a time. That's a lot different than making 5,000 knives. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I just started learning and asking questions. And uh, uh, and and finally, in January 1st of 2021, I, I, I quit my job. And, and I quit a job that 
one could argue is one of the best jobs in America. You know, a lineman job is a blast. I mean, you're working on power lines, you're climbing poles, you're hiking mountains, you're looking for trees and lines, you're working with your buddies. You're well paid for you're well paid insurance benefits, all that. And we gave it all up and I didn't take a paycheck for six months. And at that point, Brandon was my business partner. He was doing the marketing side. Neither one of us took a paycheck and we worked half of that year of, we worked until June of 2021 without a paycheck. And what I'm really proud of is that year in August, we flew in, uh, like 19 or 20 veterans and taught them how to forge knives and put on a whole veteran weekend that weekend for those guys. And we'd been taking a paycheck for two months, you know, but we wanted to, we wanted to set a precedence that every year we're going to give back. And, and so that's what we started doing right off the bat. And we didn't have money to advertise. We didn't have money to, to pay ambassadors or influencers or whatever. So we just started giving knives away to people that, and it was no strings attached. Like if you think it's great, do what you will with it. You know, if you want to post or whatever, but we didn't ask anyone for anything. We just gave away product and let the product speak for itself. But in regards to quality, you know, I, I think I met you in that January of 2021. So I, cause that was at shot show. Mm-hmm. And I think that was two years ago, 21 or 22, 21, 21. So when I met you, I wasn't taking a paycheck. I had quit my job 20 days earlier, uh, was that shot show. And I told you then, like, we just couldn't match like the level of production that other companies could and whatnot. But I said, like, we're going to get there. We're going to build. And at that point, I think we were averaging building. If you looked at our drops, like probably 20 knives a week at, at most, you know, maybe 10 knives a that week. Was, that was a fun time though, because you would announce a drop and it was, uh, you're like, you'd be on a page, your page hitting refresh as right. fast as you could yeah. for the add to cart button to become available. Yeah. And, uh, it was a race to once you added the quantity of knife that you're going to buy and to check out, so yeah. you'd have like all of your stuff. And if you did not do it, you didn't get the knife. Right. That was, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it's, it's, it's been wild and that kept up for a couple of years. And in fact, it's still, it's still kind of crazy. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a sellout in like, like 28 minutes. Um, but from that point in 2021 to now, now we're making about a thousand knives a week. Yeah. Um, but there was a ton of learning. So like in the quality of the knives, you know, the, the steel and the quality and, and the heat treatment, that kind of stuff is the same as it was back then. But like, for example, our sheaths are so much better. Yeah. Uh, our, our, clips. our clips are so much better. Our handle making, uh, the way that we make our handles is so much better. The way we attach things, just do things. Cause you like, you learn 50 cord is, uh, like one of the most notably better things because mm-hmm. like it is super tight now. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it feels, you, you just can't mess it up Yeah, the way that you do it now. Yeah. It's just, we, we, you, you learn, right. And we're still learning. And what's really exciting is now we're at the point where we actually, we, we never, we never took a loan. We never took a dollar in debt. We never took investors. Uh, we ended up taking on a guy a little bit later. He bought a very, very small percentage of the company and we really did it because we needed his advice. Like we wanted him on our board of directors because he knew business. Mm-hmm. And so instead of paying him, we couldn't afford to pay him. So we let him buy a little bit of investment into the company. Uh, it wasn't as money as we needed. It was his knowledge. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things I tell people like, don't be so greedy with your company that you can't allow a little piece of it to go away, to bring someone with knowledge that can, can be a, a multiplier. You know, when, when Brandon, my business partner, I could have, I couldn't afford to pay him. I initially started paying him to do some photos and stuff. And finally I said, dude, you're basically, you're a genius at what you're doing. I need you, but I can't afford to pay you. So will you be my business partner? And I gave him a, you know, a big basically job. half of the company and, and we became business partners. And then, but then from then on, cause I saw, he proved to me in several, over several months, how hard he worked at night. Like I'd say, Hey, I need this done, blah, 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 blah. And in 30 minutes, he was like, it was two minutes, nine o'clock at night. And loyal to the vision. Yeah. That was one of the coolest things about him. <clears throat> um, you know, he wasn't the youngest knife maker, but the, the idea that you had when you filed to own Montana knife company as 19 as a 19 year old, here we are 20 years later and your partner is as committed yes. to keeping this 
this vision, this idea, this mm-hmm. mission um, intact. Yeah. That's a rare and, thing. And, and I look at what, what my job today is as, as president and CEO is, I, I, whether it's a general manager of a baseball team or, um, you know, a leader of a military operation, right? Like not everyone can be an expert in everything, right? Yeah. So how do we build a team? that is multifaceted in expertise. Like our director of operations that we brought in, he came over from Amazon. Uh, he's a former ranger. Uh, he is a freaking badass. And and his his he literally poured the concrete at the, at the Spokane uh, uh, Amazon's facility, poured the concrete, built the building, put the equipment in, and hired all the people and ran it, shipping like six, 700,000 packages a day. He knows logistics. Yeah. Well, he comes in and he's a multiplier now to our operations of our company. So to your question, how do we get better as a company? It's by finding the right people. That's how you get better as a company. Like I, I am looking for the very, very best people, you know, and, and that's what we just hired another guy that's an engineer and is an absolute wizard at running equipment. I hired away one of the very best engineers from one of the biggest knife companies in the country. He's a freaking badass. And and so we are implementing things and we're bringing in people and we're building this this coalition of people that now we can start to really use them as multipliers and grow. And so like next year coming out into tactical knives, folding knives, you know, more chef's knives. And I drew a thing up on a board uh, last week, Wednesday. Every Wednesday we do a meeting every morning and it's to it's to try to, to make our, our employees understand and, and make them better people in general. So like, it's basically a, a it's like a betterment meeting and, and I'll cover everything from, from how the economy works, financing, taxes. Uh, we talk about what we're struggling with as a company, what we're trying to do, how we're, how we're going after it. I cover uh, you know, like personal debt, different things, because these are 20, 21, 22 year old people. And I feel like if they're super well-rounded and super solid people in their personal lives, they're going to make even better employees. Right. But then I want them to feel ownership in our company and understand all the way through what we're struggling with and what we're trying to accomplish. And so I explained to them, I said, if we, if, if our knife company is an army and we are a country and we want to invade another country, I said, basically the first two years, Brandon and I, we were like two little spies that like snuck in and started like passing out flyers flyers were our knives. And then we started to get a a little bit of help here and there. And we started to get a little bit of a stronghold, like in a farmhouse. And I said, then we started kind of going out from there and building and, and just finding more contacts and more people and more help. And I said, essentially what we've done is we've now built a base we can operate from. And we have not even close to have taken over the country, but we have a super strong base. And now we can like now we can run missions out of that, yeah. right? And so I'm not a veteran, I, but, I, but I was trying to kind of put it in that context of like our goal from day one was to take over the U.S. as a knife company. And we're not there like in any facet. Like I tell them like we are a long ways from where we need to go. But now we have help, we have some money in the bank, and we have friends, right? And, and, and now we're, now it's like time to go, Yeah, which is, it's just super exciting because it feels like we're just now getting going Yeah, because, you know, we just didn't have the resources before. So that's what it feels like on the outside looking in. It's like, dude, this thing's about to explode. Yeah. Skyrocket. Yep. And it's more, what's more exciting today when I met you the first time, I just didn't have any help like to, to make things happen. Yeah. And now, now we have the help, you know, and, uh, and they're, and they're amazing people. Like for me to be down in Austin for four or five days, I don't have to think about what's going on there. I know I have the right people there yeah. and they're a multiplier. That's a great feeling. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's phenomenal. So, um, I want you to pretend that we're in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm a journeyman and I come to you and I say, I'm going to present you with my first knife. Okay. Okay. And this is my second knife. Okay. And I'm like, uh, I want to be a bladesmith. Yeah. How are, uh, how am I doing? Uh, so without naming names of who made these, <laughs> get out. Yeah. You, you definitely wouldn't lay these on the table. Uh, I, I could spend, I could spend an hour going over those. Just break from, this with my bare hands. Probably not. It's probably, so? it's probably too soft, but if you did, you might slice the shit out of your, uh, your hands. So, um, 
yeah no there's there's so much uh there's so much and that's and that's the difference in like a factory made chef's knife and stamped cut pizza yeah and i mean to save money you know this blade has a has a bevel grind that's what three-eighths of an inch up from the edge uh they just ran it across a grinder real quick this thing's made in china you know and that that's the thing like everybody told me for so long knife makers telling me when i was i was in arizona at travis wurtz's shop talking to a really good friend of mine knife maker there and i showed him one of my prototypes and i'm like i'm gonna build this company so what i'm gonna do this is 2019 and he was like dude you, you have to like you could make that in china so cheap they could do a good job you have to do that in china and i was like i i absolutely refuse and he was like you can't compete can you can you see that doug is that clear yeah you see what it says right here usa made that's right and and I, I absolutely uh, don't. I did not believe that. I, I believe we can do everything here in the in the U.S. And and with these knives, when you when that knife gets dull, you can ship it to us with our generations program. We sharpen that thing and we send it back the next day. Nothing drives me more crazy than buying a product and you can't get any customer service. If you write an email and you send it to us, it's Jessica Smith, my wife, that reads it and responds. That's crazy. And the reason she's in that role. Is she's the owner's wife she is one of the owners nobody cares more than the owners right who right. should who should be reacting to any problems we have it's the owners there's um there's a cool thing that happens uh in the use of your product because mm -hmm. it's a tool first and foremost mm -hmm. um obviously it could be used as a weapon but uh you know in the hands of a trained person it's a really cool thing and it yeah. creates magic yeah um i sent you a picture one month ago we're in we're here at cheap dog response teaching a provider course and which where we're teaching f a pool of people how to hunt mm -hmm. most of them have never hunted before so we get land navigation how to field dress an animal um, we show them two different dresses one like a deer camp version and then like a field version mm -hmm. like how to gut cape and quarter mm -hmm. and um one of the girls that was there Allie, had never killed anything before um i take as i'm driving out there we're in burnett uh texas mm -hmm. and we have a rampant feral pig problem so if you see pigs on a ranch it's a it's a nice nod to the owner to be like yeah i killed a pig for you and yeah. uh and we also I wanted them to see for the first time, you know, an animal pass ethically. Yeah. So um, I put this animal in the dirt, but it's not dead. And Allie's with me and I hand her your knife mm -hmm. and she goes up and she kills the knife or she kills the pig with the knife. Um, and it was like an emotional event for her. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, maybe one of the mo most significant moments in the sense that she was present ushering this thing into death mm -hmm. and then through the, its death learning how to do this incredible thing which is become a hunter mm -hmm. and um i hadn't appreciate i may maybe taken it for granted how important the tool is in some some of these moments mm -hmm. you know by no means does a tool make you good at the thing that you're doing mm -hmm. like you have to learn the craft and right. you can you cannot buy your way into being a good hunter you cannot buy your way into being a good shooter right um but once you learn how to do that thing, it definitely enhances your ability to do it. Right. So she takes this, she puts it into the hilt, like all the way up to her hand. You know, I was like, move that thing around, make sure it bleeds out fast. And, you know, it was, it was dead heartbeat. But it was so effortless to watch, you know, a, a petite woman mm -hmm. go and kill a feral wild hog with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so cool to see, uh, again, I told you in the very beginning of this, the best part of doing this is the people and to get the feedback from our customers every single day, especially right now it's hunting season all over the country. Every single day we're getting tagged in photos where, uh, you know, guys are taking their kids out, men are taking their wives and their daughters out and, and they're going out with their fathers and their sons and cousins and uncles and just good friends. And they're, they're taking us along on that, on that journey. And then they're, they, they literally are, it's the very, very best 
day basically of some of these people's lives and they think to stop and take a picture of this knife laying on their animal they thought about us in the moment like one of their best moments of their lives and they took the time to say hey let's place this knife on there take a picture and then email it to this company and that to me it give it gives me chills because they're that they're, they're truly like thinking of us and including us in their experience, in their hunt. And uh, they're on my Instagram t today, just on the stories I shared, uh, a little boy killed his first deer. He's 11 years old and he's wearing one of our hats. And like he, his dad chose to hand him that hat or that little boy chose to put that hat on that morning to go on his hunt. Um, being involved in that and and that's one of the things that really bothered me so much for years before i started this company is i saw the replaceable blade thing come along and for i haven't shown you this photo. you know that dude yeah cleaned his first elk with your knife that's awesome that's my man that's awesome when the replaceable blade knife started coming along it, it killed me because i've i've in my shop i've sharpened thousands of knives that people have come in and they're like, hey, Josh, this was my grandfather's knife. This was my dad's knife. This is my mom's chef's knife, whatever. Um, can you sharpen this? Can you put a new tip back on it? Can you fix the bolster on it or something? This My grandfather was in Vietnam when he, this was his pocket knife he carried. This is, was his, you know, um, you know wh whatever knife it was, K-Bar. And can you just sharpen? I want to put it in my safe or I want to carry it because my grandfather carried it, whatever the thing is. And it didn't matter what the knife was, it, it mattered who carried it. And all of a sudden we got to the point where we as men for generations, for yeah, generation upon generations have passed down knives and guns as men. Knives and guns, art and jewelry, like maybe a car. We're definitely not passing our cars down today. Yeah. They're not gonna run in a hundred years. Uh, we've passed down knives and guns and and all of a sudden now we're throwing one of the things we've always passed down away. And we're making that piece, that thing in China. Like, do you really want to pass your son down something that was made by slaves in China? By our enemies. Our enemies. Using our, slaves of, of people they don't want in their yeah, country. Yeah. yeah. If, if we're not careful, we're literally going to have Chinese people run around our country with us having Chinese knives in our safe and we're working for them. I mean, it's, it's we're close to it, that. Actually. It's, it's bonkers, man. And, uh, and with, with, with guns, um, it's, it's always been something that's, that's been a thing that's passed down and same with, same with knives. It's just, uh, it doesn't matter in a hundred years. It won't matter that this is Montana knife company. It'll matter that it was Tim Kennedy's and there's going to be a great, great grandchild down the road. That's like, I had this great grandfather and he was in the military and he did this and he did that and he was on podcasts and, he, and he's, they're going to be telling these stories of this, of this, of this person, but they're not going to have all they're going to have left of what, who you were and what you were is maybe the sword on the wall, or maybe a, a couple of your spe most special guns that you passed down and said, this was the gun I carried when I did this, or this was the knife I took when I went to Alaska or to Texas and shot this elk. Those are the things that are going to matter that are going to get passed down, you know? Um, and you know, it's interesting cause like one of our knives is two or $300. And I hear people say like, well, that's expensive for a knife. And it's like, really? Because the camo and the base layers and the coach you're wearing is all about $3,000 yeah. worth of shit. And that's not going to be, you're going to have a whole new kit of that stuff in, in just a few seasons. years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, your backpack, your, your pack that you're wearing was 500 bucks. Your boots are 400 bucks. Like, and, and your knife is the one thing of all of the things you're carrying right now that you're going to pass down, you know, that's not going to get thrown away. There's something weird about it. Like you could break the tip off of this knife. And for some reason you'd be like, I'll just throw it in my safe. Like it's weird how many people have brought me knives and be like, I know the tip's broken off, but I just can't bring myself to throw it away. Can you put a tip on it? Like you don't throw these away, yeah. you know? So yeah, I'm pretty passionate about that part of it. Cause I've seen guys come in my shop and literally go, go into tears being like, this is all I have of my grandfather's. Can you please restore it a little bit? Like yeah. that's cool. You know, I have that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We all do. We all do. Um, Good people do. Some people don't care. It's true. 
Yeah, it's true. But you know what? Those are the those are some of the knives and guns and stuff like that that end up in pawn shops. You walk into a pawn shop and there's an old K bar laying there. There's an old thirty aught six, an old yeah. Springfield or something like. You know, it's uh, it doesn't it still doesn't get thrown away. It gets taken down to a pawn shop. You know, um, so yeah, I I that's that's a big part of what we do. We're this was man's. You know, they say this is man's first tool. You know. And it's pretty cool to be, to be making something like that and sending on these experiences. And there again, like, you know, the fact that we have people send us pictures that are cops carrying our knives, guys in the military carrying our knives, and we're not even making them as a tactical knife, you know? Yeah. But, um, dudes are like, oh no, it weighs an ounce and a half and it cuts rope. Great. I'm going to put on my kit, you know? Yeah. The weight is my favorite thing about your knives. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're, when you're planning a three, four day low fence elk hunt in southwest texas and you're like counting ounces right and you're like why is this so light yeah it's amazing (laughs) yeah and you compare not to compare other knife companies i won't say who that is but like that blade is that's the same size knife it's 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 essentially the same exact size knife but you feel the differences in that and you know the fact that the fact that we we skeletonize our knives out blood how did that happen Did you cut yourself? No, no, no. Like, um, I can't, I have to, I like tried to scrub, scrub that. It's like stained, oxidized. Oh yeah. So that steel must be some kind of a, you know, a non-stainless steel, a partially a carbon steel or something like that. So in our, in our blades, uh, we, we do, we do both. We do carbon steel blades. Like these are carbon steel blades. So this edge or this logo could, could definitely get uh, rust on it, and and I and we do, we also make uh, stainless steel blades for people that want their knives to look great forever. But you know, honestly, for me, for this knife, down the road when this thing's used a ton over and over and over, and the whole entire blade's like that, when you pass this knife down two or three generations from now, somebody picks this up and it's like when you look at an old gun on a wall hanging up, and you're like that old Mauser on the wall. Do you want it to look perfect? Or do you want it to look like that thing's been through some shit? Yeah, there's some pretty serious stories to those guns. Up there. Right, yeah, you look up those, wh- where did all the dings and those stocks come from and the forms and the blades? And it's like, God, what is, what, who carried that and what were they doing? Like, you know, so, so to me, these aren't meant to look perfect forever. Like if you pass this knife down and in 50 years it looks like this, that doesn't have any heart in it. Yeah. Like, I want to see this thing sharpened down to where it's an inch shorter. It's sharpened way up into the, to the middle of the blade. It's all rusty, right? Paracord's all full of shit. And you're like, man, that thing's been through some hell. Yeah. Like, that's what you want them to look like yeah. in my mind, you know? Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I got in trouble with my wife. I have a GS motorcycle and um, went to this little on-road, off-road enduro course and uh i came back with some scratches and some dings and she's like why would you do that i'm like why would i have a gs motorcycle yeah that i can't ride to its ability right you know um and the only way that i'll be able to get to be able to ride it to its ability is to go and learn from the best about how to do it yeah and uh it was it was that it's a different frame of mind yeah Uh, you know same with the the guns that are in my safe, um, the guns that I go and hunt with, the guns that I go and compete with. Um, yes, they're specific to a single single modality, but mm-hmm. like, there's nothing more I hate than seeing that perfect, clean gun that is begging and pleading to be used. My, my brand new pickup this spring, our first, uh, my first hunt of the year, we were bear hunting. I was, uh, Derek Wolf was bear hunting with us and we were up in like the Darby, Montana area down in the Bitterroot. And I came back and same thing. My wife was like, oh my God. <laughs> and there's just lines down the side of my truck from driving through all the brush and all, the, all these logging roads and stuff. And it's like, it's a truck. Like, it, 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 yeah, it's brand new, but... It's going to get there one way or another. It, 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 it has a job. Yeah. And it, it did job great. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's got the scratches to prove it. So what's, uh, what's next? Um, you're... I don't think it's a secret that, I mean, some of the, some of the most famous hunters on the planet, mm-hmm. if not most the famous of the famous hunters on the planet and mm-hmm. use your knives, um, the, some of the most influential people, uh, that are also hunters on the planet, use your knives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there is a demand for your knives that that's not going to be that's going to continue to grow um you're just on fox news a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. talking about an american-made company Mm -hmm. making american quality knives in in um like that's not mince words we're at war and our adversary is fighting for production of to compete with them to, to put any american made anything out of business yeah they're trying to buy machine shops they're trying to buy farms they're trying to buy anything that they can produce to ultimately make put americans out of work we're economically mm-hmm. at war with them we're in an information war with them we're in a diplomatic war with them and we're nearly via proxy in a military war with them uh and there you are in fox being like we are usa made right american employees in montana um what's next I've said from day one, and I tell our employees all the time, the goal was never to be the United States' largest knife company. I don't care about the size necessarily. Uh, The goal is definitely to be America's best knife company. That is achievable. Um, So with that being said, we launched as a hunting knife company. We're unapologetic for what we do. It's, a, it's an amazing pastime. It's a critical part of conservation. It's a critical part, I think, of, of teaching uh, people how to be uh, self-sufficient and not be relying on the system for when shit does go south. And it's going um, Yeah, it's, it's happening uh, right in front of our face. And so in my mind, if we become the world, to the, the United States best and and strongest knife company and that and that isn't just about the knives it's about how we we treat our people how we lead our people uh we are trying to train leaders within our shop all i prefer to hire young people in our shop and bring them up and train them um i i love because down the road just like when you're you become a journeyman lineman or you become a green beret you you you, you've you've proven yourself for years through training your peers have gotten to work with you and see where your strengths your weaknesses are um and and put you in positions to succeed and down the road all of these people that we're training in our shop will be leaders within our building and they'll have dozens of employees under them if if in our country there were ten thousand more montana knife companies around the nation in whatever industry it is hiring 30 you know right now we have 32 employees when i met you we had zero Mm -hmm. uh and that's in three years so if if ten thousand other companies would have done that in the last three years we would be in a better place in our country nationwide forget the government just from within our own communities we sponsor little league baseball teams we bought a 4-h steer this year at the 4-h sale and we put it in a freezer in our shop for our employees to take home at night um you know and i tell our employees the work you did made our company money and we took that money to the 4-H sale. We bought a steer. It supported the neighbor, neighboring kid who raised that on his ranch. And then we brought that meat back, and you get to take that meat home and eat it at night. That's cool. Like, that is the circle that I think all companies should be striving for. And, and we're, you know, trying to teach your, your, your company and your kids about nutrition and finance and pride and country and voting and taxes. And, you know, I told them in April what our tax bill was and what the ramifications were for the next few months. Like, hey guys, we get to work for the next three months to make up for that. And I think all of that helps clue these kids in to make them more educated voters, better citizens, more involved in their community. When they wear a Montana Knife Company sweatshirt out uh, on a Saturday out in town and people recognize them and realize who they are because we highlight them on our Instagram page, we shoot vlogs and we ask them to be on camera. We are trying to uplift and raise and make our, our people within our company as known as I am. I want those kids to be out at our shows. When we go to shows and we go to TAC or any of these other outdoor shows, we don't take a show team from some company we sub out. We take Tristan out of the sharpening room. We take Melissa from packaging. We take Lauren from the laser room. Take Jessica, my wife, from customer service. And they talk to the, our customers and our people. Um, so what's next is hopefully just more of the same. It's being relentless, not 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 letting up and thinking we've made it. But instead, now we get to turn our, uh, our focus and attention towards like folding knives, tactical knives, the military world. We, we, you know, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface there and hopefully build relationships and bonds the right way. Uh, you know, I'm working with active duty SEER instructors right now on a SEER, a SEER knife. Like I, I want to ask the people who are actually doing the thing 
for advice on input on like, what do you guys need for a, mm -hmm. a tool for a knife? You know, what, do, what job do those knives need to do? And I feel like we did that in hunting because I was a hunter. I kind of knew what I, I saw missing, but I wasn't in the military. I can't, I can't be the expert on that. I'm not a chef. So when we designed our chef's knives, I brought in a chef's knife maker to help us design those. You know, we're now working with other chefs to design more stuff. We're working with the bearded butchers to make, you know, butcher knives. Like I want to go find the people who are the experts and ask them to help us, you know, grow our brand the right way. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a, definitely a long winded answer, but, uh, it, it really is just being re be relentless and never feel like we've made it. Yeah. We're just getting started. When are we going to go hunting? Dude, I'm See, ready. <laughs> yeah. You got to come to Texas. A hundred percent. It's a wild, uh, it's a different, it's a different thing here. Like New Mexico's fun. Colorado's fun. Montana's amazing. Utah's fantastic. But like Doug cowboy. Dude, we got, I got this buddy Casey that I go hunting yeah. with. Like there's times he's hanging from the tail of a mountain lion that is alive <laughs> in a tree. I'm dead, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Like, um, you know, successful hunt going to town. Maybe he takes our, our camp horse into the bar and starts a fight. You yeah. know, like this, this is, yeah, this is Texas. He's, right? he's it's, wild. Yeah. It's wild. It's so yeah. fun. Well, Dude, man, I'm I so love it. Happy that you uh, made a trip out here. I really appreciate you, and I'm so obviously I love your knives. I'm so excited for what is going to be happening in the future with Montana Knife Company. Um, Josh Smith from Montana Knife Company, founder, president, CEO, all the things. Yeah. Of uh, go check them out. They make incredible knives, and uh, my favorite part, USA made. So man, th th thank you for, uh, you know, kind of sharing your, your people and your platform, you're following with us, uh, what you do, uh, what you give to our country and, and not just the, the, the military side, but everything that you're doing with this building, with the people that you're doing here, the community that you're building with jujitsu, um, everything that you're doing around here is, is there again, if we had 10,000 more people doing that around the nation, copying you copying us, copying, you know, I, I'm not the first with what I'm doing. You know, there's other great companies like Sornex out there and Loophold, Nosler Bullets, and like companies that are longstanding American companies. Like we need more people doing what you're doing, what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, forget the politicians. Like we got it. We got to change these, these, this country from our, our own, our own little zip codes. Yeah. Have to, uh, or it's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, freedom, freedom is one generation away from being lost. And uh, it's our time to fight now more violently than we ever have for that freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens at the small business level. Yep. So yep. Uh, I totally agree. And um, it's one of the fun things seeing. I mean, we have so many friends. We have so many peers. We, so so yeah. many people that are succeeding in the small businesses. Yeah. You know, the, the Jockos and the Evans and the Matts yeah. and the Jareds. You know, mm -hmm. like the, the list just goes on. You go back 10 years, none of us were anything. So. Yeah. And that's well, what I said. I said earlier uh, in, in a different place, I was talking about Evan with, with Black Rifle. Like, he, he's, just a, he's just a dumbass from Idaho in a logging town. I'm just a dumbass from a, a logging town in Montana. Like, we aren't special people. And I'm not trying to compare myself to Evan. What he's built is far and away more amazing than what I've done. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't give him any just credit. A, yeah, just a little midget guy. Um, but, brilliant. But but the point is, is is he he had a brilliant plan, um, but he also uh, he also gathered and uh, other amazing people around him to help him. Yeah. You know, he 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 created a coalition of amazing people around him, and then he he didn't take no for an answer. Like, no, black rifle, like that's not possible. You can't yeah. do that. Montana Knife Company, oh, you got to do that in China. Don't 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 adhere to the, all these different things that people say you can't do. Evan Hafer is a, is a special, special guy and he's a hard worker, but there again, I don't think he's any more special than a lot of these people out there that absolutely have the ability if they just go after it, yeah. you know, it's, it's possible. And what you've built, I mean, again, what you've built while being literally active duty military at the same time. And it, and it goes back to what I said about getting up early and going to bed late. You know, it's not going to happen. I tell people, I have people email me like, you know, you've inspired me. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start whatever. And I'm like, well, what are you doing right now? 
what it, like where are you at with it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I gotta quit and then start. I'm like that's a bad plan. Yeah, bad plan. You should keep that job, and you should do your best at that job right now, and then you should start this other thing at at 4 a.m. Yeah. Like look at Jocko's watch. Like do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I don't think we can finish at a better note than that, man. Go and do it. Yeah. You know, take the extreme ownership, recognize that it's going to be hard work. Mm -hmm. And, um, I am not smart. I am not, um, gifted in anything and I just work harder than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm going to do that until I die. hundred percent, man. Keep killing it. Thank you, man. Josh Smith, Montana knife company. Stay safe and stay free.